0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brainy. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward yeah. from this point
1: on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about stuff. Am I going to get sued? Got legal on this? I yeah, like football, like football season, and all the things that go with it. Four snaps was all it took for the Jets' Super Bowl dreams to crumble into a nightmare on Monday night as Aaron Rodgers lay sprawled out on the turf after a routine sack. What do you think, Trev? Trying to cold open today. None of this welcome-to-the-podcast kind of stuff, just straight into the action.
0: I won't stand for it. They're going to trade for Jameis Winston. They're going to lock his full potential. The number one pick is going to once again rise, and it's all going to be good in Jets' kingdom.
1: All right, well, there you go. That's the podcast today. Sam Monson (laughs) here, Trevor Sikama in. We're going to be talking all things Aaron Rodgers, all things Monday Night Football debacle that it was. And then we're going to go a little preview of the draft. We're going to start talking about... You know, who QB3 might be. Um, Anyone that's sort of taken a a look forward at the upcoming draft, the 2024 draft. You know, Caleb Williams is supposed to be the number one superstar. Drake May is most people's consensus number two. But that number three QB spot is kind of up for grabs. And a lot of guys, after a couple of weeks of college football action, have already started to make moves. Trevor Sycamore, part of the uh, the NFL Stock Exchange, is already all over it. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But first, we've got to get into this Monday Night Football thing because, oh, my God, what a
0: mess that was. Dude, so I was telling you a little bit in the pre-show, but I'll give the expanded version here so everybody can hear it. Uh, my future father-in-law is a diehard Jets fan, has been a Jets fan since birth. Is, you know, his whole family is Jets fans. And he has long told me about how cursed the Jets franchise is, that they can't have anything nice. Um, you know, when my fiancé was doing sports radio, back before Trevor Lawrence got drafted into the NFL, the Jets were looking like they were going to get the number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. And he now famously in our little family said, I don't want the Jets to get the number one pick. Trevor Lawrence seems like a really nice guy. I really don't (laughs) want to ruin his career like that. I really don't. So he just believes that the Jets are always cursed. We go to a Jets bar last night and the energy in that building was in When Bryce, uh, when when Brees Hall ripped off that like 15, 20-yard run early, you'd have thought they won the Super Bowl. I mean, I thought the building was going to come down because of how loud the Jets fans were. And then, of course, like a play later, two plays later, whatever it was, uh, Rodgers hurt his ankle and it couldn't be any quieter in the building. It couldn't have been any quieter in the stadium. And it's just like, I am in no way a Jets fan my heart sunk into my gut because of what we had just watched. And when he had the trainers carry him off the field, you kind of knew that this was not going to be a routine injury. And like, man, all the talk of the off season, hard knocks, the preseason, everything, man, it just, it sucks. There's no way around it. It sucks that that happened just a few snaps into, um into his tenure with the Jets. And so A lot of possibilities that I'm sure we're going to get into here on this show. But, man, it sucked to watch last night. That
1: part, at least. Yeah, it really did. It's like that was one of the most interesting, biggest storylines in this NFL season. And it's just been – it got taken away from everybody. Like, obviously, you feel for Jets fans who thought they finally had a quarterback that could, you know, propel them into contender status and make a run to the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff. Like, Jets fans were rightfully excited heading into this season, and that disappears. But that's the same with every injury. But for everybody else, it's like this was one of the most interesting storylines – in the NFL. Like the rest of us were going to get to see how this Rodgers thing was going to work in New York, whether he was going to be able to be that guy, whether he could be that MVP candidate again, whether he could make the Jets relevant, you know, beat the Bills, all these kinds of things. And that gets taken away from everybody after four snaps. That that sucks. Like, you know, injuries happen. Most of them I don't think affect the, the neutral fan as much as this one did.
0: Right, right. No, I completely agree with you. You know, this is Injuries are part of this very violent game. And, you know, we see injuries, you know, like what happened with the Baltimore Ravens, right? What what feels like it happens with the Baltimore Ravens all the time, getting hit hit by the injury bug. And you sit here and there's there's no other real reaction other than, damn, that sucks. You wish that we lived in a world where we could just turn injuries off like Madden and we could let teams build the way they want to build. And then you go out and you figure whose roster, whose strategy, whose coaching actually is the best. But we don't get that. It's it's not a reality to get that in the NFL. And a lot of times when we talk about Super Bowl contenders and playoff contenders, division winners, all that kinds of stuff, you, me, everybody, there's always a caveat. Well, as long as they're healthy, right? As long as they stay healthy. And right. like We always throw that little sentence in there when we talk about season predictions for teams because I go back to an example that I know very well. Big reason why the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl when they did with Tom Brady a few years ago is because they were healthy. That offensive line didn't miss any time. The, the weapons barely missed any time. Like That entire team was so healthy and playing well together down the stretch that it's almost like it kind of turns into this whoever survives the regular season the best often makes a lot of noise in the playoffs. Not entirely, but it's just a really crappy part of the game that... um Unfortunately, is reality for a lot of teams. But I agree with you. This one hit different. This yeah. Rogers injury hit different.
1: No, it sucks. Injuries being a part of football is an unfortunate reality. Football, of course, being synonymous with fall weather. You know, you got to secure your uh, you got to secure your financial future. And at least Rodgers did that before getting himself hurt. But the most important task on. Your fall list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents, for parents, to help you get high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes, and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family Apply today in minutes at meatfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meatfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M E E T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So, after the absolute bummer that was, you know, Aaron Rodgers going down, the Jets immediately find themselves back. To square one, which is Zach Wilson going back in there. And I don't know. Do you, when you watch Monday Night Football, are you a main broadcaster or a Manning Cast guy?
0: So I I go back and forth. Last night I wasn't a Manning Cast guy, but I did see the clips of Peyton Manning looking so <laughs> offended that Zach Wilson would have the audacity to still be in the league voluntarily at this point, <laughs> that I felt like Peyton himself was going to call up the Jets in the middle of the game, which would have made for great TV, by Absolutely. the way, if he was able to get in touch with Joe Douglas. he's He was about to call Joe Douglas in the middle of the game and say... I'm coming in to try out tomorrow. That's what that's what Zach Wilson did to Peyton Manning in the little clips that I saw. So uh, normally I kind of go back and forth, but I did see those clips.
1: Yeah, Peyton Manning is is often disgusted by things that happen on the field, but they they tend to be very you know isolated, it's small incidents, right? Like a, an individual mistake here or there, and you see him react viscerally. This. He From the moment it happened, he was just disgusted that Zach Wilson was in the football game, right? And once he was in the football game, he was even more disgusted that they would ever attempt a pass with him in there. It's like, no, don't let Zach Wilson throw the ball. That's the worst thing that can happen. This guy's terrible. He was just annihilating Wilson from start to finish to the point where even like at some point in the second half, Ryan Fitzpatrick came on. I was like, whoa, let's let's dial back to negativity here. Like he's not, you know, poor kid's doing his best.
0: Like it it is wild that we're talking about it like this with a former, not that long ago, number two overall pick to the team. Right? It's not like, um man, Rodgers went down, they have no backup plan, right. here's an undrafted free agent journeyman who's been on, like, 18 teams. I mean, shout out to Josh Johnson. I didn't mean for the him to catch any sort of stray there with the 18 teams comment. <laughs> but, like, it, I, I can't believe it. it's this point of view with Zach Wilson. Yeah. He's number two overall pick, man. If, if your starting quarterback is going to go down, this is actually kind of like the guy you would trade for, right? If Wilson was on another team... We'd probably be sitting here thinking, hey, talented kid, probably needed just a little bit more time in the league. You know, the BYU offense was kind of fake. Maybe a little change of scenery. If Zach Wilson wasn't on the Jets, his, I'll say, like, resume for being the next guy up would probably look pretty good. And he's instead, he's there, and we're getting the— Peyton Manning reaction where he's like yeah Zach Wilson should throw the ball three more times yeah. for the game when there's like 13 minutes to go in the
1: Right. Third I mean court. Peyton Manning, Mr. Quarterback, Mr. Quarterback advocate was say- was essentially saying do not let him attempt a pass in this game. Like run the ball for right. the rest of the game, even though they're down, right? It's not like they were, had the lead and they were protect Like they was literally saying, "No good can come from Zach Wilson attempting passes in this Jeez. game. Don't even try it." Which is wild for a guy who, as you say, was the number two overall pick, and he might not have been wrong. Like they, Robert Sala comes out after the game. You know, we—I I don't think it's yet been confirmed that Rodgers has a torn Achilles, but that's what everybody is expecting and, and fearing, which means he's done for the year. Robert Sal has essentially said Zach Wilson is a starter for the rest of the season. That can't possibly be
0: true, right? Yeah, and you know, I don't know—I don't know how deep you want to get into this with potential quarterback options for the Jets, but basically every name. That was a non-zero chance of happening was thrown out last night. Right. Like, like we had so many different options and it just doesn't feel like that can be the case. You've got to at least put a lot of work into looking into the, if you look into a lot of these other options and you know, trading for some of these guys might be too much, you know, you don't want to give up the draft capital or whatever it is or, um, you know, you figure, I don't know their exact salary cap off the top of my head. Maybe we'll have to get Brad Spielberger on the line here, like who wants to be a millionaire? But uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know exactly what their cap situation is, but I got to think that they're pretty close to the floor given the fact that they were trying to contend for a Super Bowl this year. So I don't know what the options are money-wise with some of these other better options that might be out there that might even be available for a trade. So my point is, though, is that you have to look into everything. Whether it's a free agent who's not on a team right now, whether it's a guy like Matt Ryan who's in a broadcast booth, whether it's Philip Rivers who's probably out in a ranch somewhere. Like, you got to look into all of these options because, unfortunately, even though I don't seem to be as negative as Peyton Manning was, (laughs) they're not going to get to where they want to go with Wilson this year. Like, it's just not going to happen. And if you want any chance of, Having that again, or something close to what it would have been with Rodgers, you got to look elsewhere, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to get onto it in a little bit, but they shouldn't have won that game. You know what I mean? Like, they. No. Whoa,
0: true. Yeah.
1: This should have been a a loss, and there's no way the set of circumstances that resulted in them winning this game is going to repeat, you know, throughout the season. Like, if that is the level your offense is going to be without Aaron Rodgers, you're going to need a better solution to that. Now, look, you can. There's always mitigating circumstances, right? Like Zach Wilson won't have taken any first-team reps during the week. He came in cold, all those kinds of things. He'll have a better preparation for the next game in that they know he's starting. They can give him some work and get him ready. But I, I feel like we've seen enough of Zach Wilson to know that that's probably not a great option for them going forward. And there's almost certainly better options out there, whether it is trading for somebody like Jameis Winston Carson Wentz's career has gone off the rails, but Carson Wentz is sitting around waiting for a phone call. Like there are, there are options out there, and it feels like a team that was expecting to be a Super Bowl contender has to do something at quarterback and can't really roll with Zach Wilson. Um, Who would be? What would your solution be? Who would your? What's your top three wish list?
0: there's a lot of different like ways that you could attack this right i mean you could go uh, all right most realistic option best option uh funniest option like <laughs> okay if money doesn't matter kind of and, like there's so many different ways that you can approach what the jets might do here i think all right well hang best, on
1: with that said <clears throat> yeah. give me your most likely option your best option and the funniest option give me one for each
0: It feels like most likely option is either Carson Wentz or Joe Flacco because they're not on teams right now. Right. You could call them up. You get them in the building immediately. And it just kind of comes down to, to me like, okay, j- does Joe Douglas want to – spin the wheels again with Joe Flacco, or does he want to try something else? And I feel like, unfortunately, that those are probably the most realistic. Maybe you throw Matt Ryan in there as well. I don't really know. The, the Philip Rivers thing, I think that Philip Rivers is is retired. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think that that's super realistic. But I feel as though one of those veteran guys is probably the most realistic. The best option for them, I think, is Jameis Winston. I really do. Because you've at, you've at least got to roll the dice. You know, certainly, I, I think... Truly best-case scenario, money doesn't matter, Matt Stafford, right? If the, if, if the It would have helped, I think, if the Rams wouldn't have looked so good this past weekend because right. I don't know if they're going to want to move on from him. But if you get a couple of weeks into the season here and the Rams start losing some games and they realize, hey, we are full turn of the page. I know Stafford's contract is huge, but like, if money doesn't matter and they can figure it out, that's the best option, no question about it, of like, guys that could actually elevate this team to get to a level. But I don't know how realistic it is. Jameis Winston, to me, is much more realistic because the contract's not very much. It probably wouldn't cost you that much in draft capital to go get him. And this is somebody who has obviously won games in this league before. Now, there's a reason why he's a backup, of course, but no option at this point of the season to... Address what the Jets need to address is going to be perfect. And I think that you would probably take the swing of the bat with Jameis Winston because there's a handful of other guys like, you know, Jacoby Bursett, I think, is something that comes to mind. Gardner Minshew is another guy that comes to mind. Nick Foles is somebody else that comes to mind. But at that point, what are you really doing? Do you think those quarterbacks can actually get you where you want to go? I'm not saying James Winston gives you the easiest or straightest path to where you <laughs> want to go, but at least he has the arm to say, Hey, we can make the most out of this passing offense when we need to hit our deep shots. If he really has turned down the turnover since his Buccaneer days, we've got a good enough running game that we saw last night to be able to put up some decent points. And we have a defense that could be the best defense in the NFL. So that's the one that I look at and I think makes the most sense. But, um, the one that would be the best for them, in my opinion, is Stafford. I just don't really know how realistic that is.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I feel like the – you're right. The most likely options are probably stuff like Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco might be the single most likely option. Carson Wentz, I think, is another obvious one that makes a lot of sense. Um, the best option for them, it might it might be Jameis. Um you know, you, you're going to be looking simply through availability. You're going to be looking at those top backups in the NFL type tier. And you, you list right. off a couple of them there. Teddy Bridgewater is another name that that always sort of circulates in that kind of category. And,
0: um, and so for those guys, I don't mean to cut you off, but like Bridgewater, Bursette, um, Gardner Minshew, like guys like that, Nick Foles. You might be raising the floor from what Zach Wilson gives you, but how much are you actually raising the ceiling? Because at that point, how much is the draft pick worth? I I don't know exactly where those conversations are going to start with compensation. Maybe they don't really care. Maybe they think that raising the floor is the most important part. But to me, for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations... You got to give it a shot, right? I think you got to take a bigger swing at the bat. Than
1: that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is those guys are their top backups for a reason, and in the AFC, in particular, in the AFC East, you know, getting even just viable quarterback play is no good to you. Like they need better than that. They need something that's capable of going toe to toe with the special type quarterbacks that they're going to be running into. As for the funniest options, the two funniest options to me are trades within the division. Uh, number one. Trading to get Mike White back from the Dolphins would be hilarious. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And number two, because Mike White is the perennial Jet savior, right? right. Everything ha- unravels. Ha- yeah, Hall, Mike of fame.
0: White. Hall of Famer. He's right. got gear in the Hall of Fame. He it all unravels.
1: Him, yeah. Mike White steps in and for two and a half games looks like an all-pro and then gets injured and we never get to see it again. So that would sure. be pretty funny. And yep. then <laughs> the Jets flipping like an absurd draft pick to the Patriots for Mac Jones would just be hysterical. And the Patriots not, just throwing not, no Mac way. Jones out the door to get a draft pick from the Jets. You can't tell me I that isn't Tom, the funniest thing that could happen.
0: I think Tom Brady is the more likely potential Patriots quarterback that would play for the Jets, actually. But I don't know how likely that one is either, you know... I. Brady is, it seems like he's always picking up the phone and calling about opportunities. So I wonder if that one actually happens.
1: Brady, Brady putting his ownership thing on hold to play for the Jets in an emergency role would be insane.
0: Here's, so I I see a couple people in the chat. Like some people are talking about Dorian Thompson Robinson from the Browns. Um, Some people are talking about uh, Aiden O'Connell from the Raiders. I don't really think he. The Jets would make either of those moves because as good as those guys looked in the preseason, it's preseason and they're rookies. Yeah. So I, I I don't think that they would even find those moves viable or upgrades over Wilson, I think, from where they're currently at. This is an option that I haven't that I thought about that would be crazy, that would take a lot of moving parts that I haven't seen. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Because the Vikings I think it's pretty clear they're going to move on from Kirk Cousins at the end of the season. Yeah, He's got one year left on his deal. Um, I think there's some money that you could probably move around a little bit, especially if Galaxy branding (laughs) The Jets are going to keep their first-round pick because they don't have to give it to the Packers because Rodgers, we assume, is not going to play 65% of the snaps because we assume he's going to be out for the season. That means that they are sending their second-round pick, I think, to the Green Bay Packers, right? Yeah. If they were already operating thinking that they were not going to have their first-round pick, if you go to Minnesota and you basically say, we'll give you a first-round pick for Kirk, but you have to – like most of the money, if not all of the money, basically just has to stay on your books. You're basically giving to him to us for free. And they're operating as if – they did not have the first round pick, anyways, and they're going to get Kirk Cousins, and then Kirk Cousins is their quarterback.
1: That would be a really interesting pitch to the Vikings because the Vikings would essentially be—they would have to accept. You know, we're we're tanking the season right now, right here and right, right. now, because this right. offer has come along and it involves a first round pick. You know, and it, and we can start like a real rebuild right now. It's just it's happening in week two of the NFL season that. That for most teams, I would imagine that they would immediately just put the phone down and say, Get the hell out of here. But with the Vikings being run by Kwesi, you know, a, an analytics minded, a, a, right. a financial minded kind of guy, I, I do kind of wonder. I would like to see his reaction to that. I, you know, even if they ended up saying no, I would like a camera on that conversation within the Vikings uh, front office to see how that would go.
0: That would be an absolutely wild move if it happened. I um, think you offer the the Rams that deal for Stafford first, but for Stafford, it's a little bit more complicated because Stafford's got multiple years on his contract after right. this. So that's a little bit more complicated. You probably try to do something like that to make it work for Stafford because the Rams are already in the business of basically trading draft picks for money, right? They did it for Jared sure. Goff. You know, that's that's kind of how they went about doing that and overpaying. Uh, with draft picks so they didn't have to pay as much for compensation. So I think you do that with LA first, but I did think about Kirk Cousins for that as well. And for as much as people and hate on Kirk, Kirk on this Jets team, I mean, you're right back in the conversation. You're not exactly where you were with Aaron Rodgers, but you're back in the conversation for, okay, you can win enough games to make it into the playoffs, be competitive, and then let's see what happens with this really good defense behind you.
1: So, so it would be remiss to move on from this game without covering what in God's name happened to Josh Allen. Like, what was he doing in this game? So there was a moment, I think it was his first interception. He started the game fine, was, you know, moving the ball around, throwing accurately, hitting receivers, and then went with just a sort of crazy, random, YOLO deep pass right into a safety. And Peyton Manning's reaction to that was, you know, He was like, hey, Eli, Josh Allen talked to me, and he told me he was going to be patient and not, you know, get aggressive and not get overconfident with the deep ball. He lied to me. He lied. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened. He went straight into being old Josh Allen with forcing the ball into these crazy situations. And that reminded me a lot of, remember, was it his first playoff game against Houston where late in the game he ends up with some, like, ridiculous, like, offload lateral when he was – upside down being tackled, trying to hit a tight end. And you're like, what? No, too much, too much. Like, too much aggression. Just rein it back in a bit. And then he did. He managed to sort of get himself together, you know, over the next couple of years and became slightly different. But he's been slowly sliding back in that direction over the last, you know, season and a half or so.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, I I, I looked up some numbers before this because – as I was watching the game, you know, I watched the first interception from Josh Allen. I was like, damn, okay, you know, he's taking a shot. That's kind of just how Josh Allen is. Then I was watching the second one, then the third. one, And it's and it, I got to a point where I'm like, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, it, like, does this team realize Aaron Rodgers got hurt on his fourth snap? The game was yours. There's no energy. There's no momentum. The, the, this team's completely flustered. All you had to do was not give them the ball. And not only did they do that, they did that multiple times. I think uh, Sean McDermott even said after the game, they had two opponents t- this week, the Jets and themselves. Like, yeah. That's how bad it was. And uh, obviously, Josh Allen has the quote, the same shit, different year or different day, which, whichever one he used. I can't remember which word he used, but it was true, man. So I looked this up. <laughs> Speaking of Jameis Winston, Everybody points to Jameis as the ultimate, like, okay, gunslinger gone too far. He gets to the point where you're turning the ball over too much. And that, you know, that was, that was, it was a fine line, but it got to the point where Tampa couldn't bring him back. It was, it was obviously too bad. Certainly the 30 for 30 year was insane in that regard. Jameis Winston from 2018 to 2019. So the 2019 was the 30 for 30 season. So I'm including the year before that to give us a two year window. He had 63 total interceptions and fumbles. Now, it doesn't include, like, fumbles that his own team recovered. I'm just saying, like, fumbles and interceptions, he had 63. Josh Allen from 2021, so 2021 and 2022, those full seasons, and then if you include last night as well, he's got 55. Jameis had 63. He's got 55. If you just go to turnover-worthy plays, Jameis in those two years had 62 turnover-worthy plays Josh Allen from 2021 to the beginning of 2023 has 64. He has two more turnover-worthy plays. Now, he's got more playoff games, so he's played more games. The turnover-worthy percentage for Jameis is 5.1. Turnover-worthy percentage for Josh Allen is just 3.6. So that's a massive difference in percentage. But that's what we're talking about with the volume of putting the ball in harm's way. And Josh is getting to the point where He's not getting to the point. We're here. You just have to accept that this is who he is. You got to try to rein it in a little bit, but he's never going to be this cerebral, really takes care of the ball. It's just not in his DNA. He's too much of a crazy athlete with his arm and his legs that he's not going to not believe he's Superman. And the moment that he stops believing he's Superman, you're not going to get the incredible amount of big-time throws that he also gives you. So this is the give-and-take game, man. You're going to have some unreal games from Josh Allen. And you're going to have some games like last night that you absolutely should have won. And he's the guy who's got to shoulder a lot of that.
1: It's like the you know Peyton Manning pulling his hair out at the idea that the Jets were willing to attempt a pass with Zach Wilson, at quarterback. Like, they were down 10 points. So they had to do something. The Bills, though, at the point you're up 10 points, Zach Wilson is the opposing quarterback. The talk about Zach Wilson is they can't let him throw the ball. You shouldn't have thrown a ball at all. Like, the Bills the Bills would have won that game if they hadn't attempted a pass from the point they were 10 points up for the rest of the game. You could argue they'd have won the the game if they had quick-kicked on first down every time they got the ball and just played territory. Like, Josh Allen handed that game back to the Jets every single time, pretty much. I, I mean, I asked at one point late in the game when he had the fumble, like, does he have money on the Jets? What the hell is happening here?
0: What what about the? I don't know if this is. I don't think this is the same play. The scramble where he's like seven yards before the line of scrimmage and he like he jumps into three Jets tacklers and it's like, yeah. Josh, what are you doing? Like right. what? it was that was one of the most. I don't think all Josh Allen games are going to look like that, right? I'm they obviously can't. critical of him this morning, but it, they're not all going to look like that. The problem is, is that that possibility even exists. Right. That you're that you are leaping in the air to try to hurdle one Jets defender while two others are helicopter tackling you and you're seven yards before the first down mark on third down. I, That's I mean, one of those, those things where you just got to go, dude, yeah, you can't, you can't be
1: doing this. But I think the bigger problem is that it happened in a game like yesterday when it, Like, it clearly didn't need to, right? There are some games where it's in the balance, it's fine, you know, it's close. You can understand why he would get carried away and and think he needs to do that. From, like, very early in that game yesterday, obviously, with Rodgers, it was quite clear that all you need to do is not screw it up. Like, just don't do anything idiotic and you win the game. Anything. And even once you'd made the first, like, then you would think that the first shot, you know, the arm punt that ends up being picked off, you're like, okay, That should be a lesson. That was too far. Let's not, let's, let's even, let's overcorrect even more and make sure I don't do that again because that's the only way the Jets win this game. And somehow instead of that, he kept digging and just kept going deeper and deeper. And like, dude, what of all the games, this should be the one that's easiest to pull back from that brink and just become a little bit more conservative. The fact that he couldn't control himself under those circumstances, I think, is a really big red flag because. You know, he's been moving in this direction for a while again. Last season, he led the league in turnover-worthy plays. Like you said, you know, he has a lot of attempts, so it's it's not the highest rate in the world, but it's higher than it than it can be, right? And it's higher than it needs to be if he's going to be in the conversation with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He had a two-year window where his turnover-worthy play rate dropped into the 3% range, right? 3.5 and then 32 that's fine. That's in the Dak Prescott range of sure it's higher than the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but he more than makes up for it with the big throws. Where it becomes problematic is where you get above 4% and, you know, rookie Josh Allen was 5. The next year it was 4.3. Last year it was back up to 4.2. If you're in the fours, that's a lot of negative plays to have to offset with some special plays and last night it was 7.8 percent. it was ridiculous so I they have to find a way of reining him in from that like you cannot as good as he is and as talented as he is you that can't fly that is Jameis Winston-esque and there's a reason that you know Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards and they still went no thanks this is too much
0: right and I, I when I brought up Jameis Winston, I talked about the fine line. Yeah, you know, I was working at Pewter Report covering the team as a beat reporter during that time, and it was you know months or just a year prior, like he had a deal on the table to be a very highly pl- paid multi-year contract quarterback. Jameis Winston did, and Josh Allen obviously gets paid as well, but the line is so fine when you are looking at guys who are these gunslingers who you love the fearlessness, but yeah. I think it makes not to make everything about Patrick Mahomes, but it makes you appreciate Patrick Mahomes so much more because Mahomes has the arm to be Superman. He has the arm to fit the ball into some crazy windows um, and just do some unbelievable stuff, throwing the ball. But Mahomes also really understands when he needs to do that and when he doesn't. And I think the problem with guys like Josh Allen or Jameis Winston is they just think they've got to do that all the time. And they think that because that's their ability and identity, hey, I'm a gunslinger. They don't want to take this away from me. They want me to push the ball down the field. That means you got to do it in all situations. And Mahomes was like that at Texas Tech. That's what made him such a polarizing prospect, is that he didn't really know how to turn it off. You had full good and full bad all the time. But under Andy Reid's tutelage, and certainly his own growth as well, he became this quarterback to where not only does he have the ability to do it whenever he wants, he also has the football IQ to know that he doesn't have to. And I think that's the biggest detractor from Josh Allen, is that he's missing... That patience or that poise, awareness to know that just because he can doesn't mean he has to. That was a Jameis Winston story as well. And that's always the fight that you're going to have to fight when it comes to these crazy arm talented quarterbacks who had the build, ability to do some uh, some really impressive stuff.
1: And I agree. Like, it is it is worth bringing up and, and reemphasizing that it is a fine line. Like, we, we make this black and white, and we sort of oversimplify it, and, you know, it, it's very reductionist to just say, like, you're either Patrick Mahomes or you're Jameis Winston, right? But the fact that – so Josh Allen, it's a really difficult thing for Buffalo and Josh Allen to manage because his ability – to take over individually during a play and make something special happen, either with his arm, with his legs, with his size, like all of the different elements he brings to the table. That's what makes him special. And when he puts it all together, that's what results in a quarterback that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and anybody else in the NFL. But he's going too far, right? He's erring into Jameis Winston territory too often, and figuring out where that balance is is difficult it, the, the just the really worrying thing is last night of all games he wasn't able to re- to rein himself back in that i think is a massive concern for not just Josh Allen but for the Bills and you know for the whole uh, area there it has been by the way officially confirmed now that Rodgers is son's Achilles so done for the mm-hmm. year four snaps was how long the the experiment lasted in New York and now we're on to Zach Wilson and or alternatives. Three games. Um, all right, let's start talking about these 2024 draft quarterbacks. Sure. So <clears throat> I asked you for a short list because, as people know, I'm not the biggest college football fan in the world. I've been dabbling, though. Look, there's been some, you know, storylines over two weeks that's caused me to dip in on a Saturday when I'm, you know, mowing the lawn and doing other crap around the house. So I've watched a little bit of some of these guys, and then you gave me a little short list of people to watch. I also I hit up uh, the late Michael Renner. Um, I was like, who's QB3? <laughs> He's dead. No, he is. Anyone that leaves PFF, they're the late. Late Austin okay. Gale, late Mike Renner, late Eric Eager, okay. all dead to us, right? Oh. <laughs> so we must refer to them in the past tense. But I hit him up anyway and asked Renner who the uh, QB3 was, and Renner mm-hmm. added Bo Nix to your list. Now, I know you had a, a further expanded list of guys, right? The actual list of guys that could be QB3 is like 10 players long. It's um, crazy. So the li- the short list we're working from is Quinn Ewers from Texas, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, Bo Nix from Oregon, and Shadur Sanders from Colorado. Um, let me start with Quinn Ewers because... I don't know much about him other than like up until recently, my main exposure to Quinn Ewers was was the mullet so but he has but but he's got like he's got pedigree right he was at Ohio State and now he's at Texas like those are two pretty big programs and he's been sitting in front of some you know big time players like big time prospects um Arch Manning right the the biggest recruit ever is sitting buried on that Texas depth chart. So give me a little bit of a backstory of Quinn Ewers.
0: Yeah, so Quinn Ewers in the 2021 recruiting class was QB1, um, ahead of a guy that you may have heard of before named Caleb Williams. So that just goes to show you like how much potential people saw in Quinn Ewers when he was coming out of high school. Right. Um, When I was with with the Draft Network, uh, before I came over to PFF, we covered an event out in California, uh, Steve Clarkson's quarterback camp, and Quinn Ewers was actually there. So I get to see him throw in person. Now, this is still when he was a high school senior, so it was even before he went to Ohio State. The way that this ball rockets, rocketed out of his hand, I I was like, holy cow. This, I mean, he was just truly messing around. You, could, He didn't have to really try to be the most impressive person at that camp. So he's doing like, Matthew Stafford Mahomes stuff man i mean like he's just side throwing it he's just like flicking it with no throwing motion whatever and the ball's going exactly where it needs to go with pace velocity and um and it was just it was incredibly impressive he goes to ohio state red shirts there doesn't really play ends up coming back to texas has an opportunity to start right away he had a big moment against alabama last year where he looked pretty good he looked pretty fearless And then he ended up getting hurt against Alabama. So if you combine the beginning of the year with the end of the year when he's able to come back from injury, Ewers definitely showed you a little bit of that arm strength, but the consistency was not there for him. You know, he really, the fundamentals are sometimes all over the place for him when it comes to like follow through and where slash when in his release the ball was kind of coming out of his hands. And it leads to some, I don't want to say like poor accuracy. He definitely had some accuracy issues, but more importantly, ball placement. You know, when you've got to be able to place the ball in a specific spot, which is an NFL trait that is a requirement of all starters to succeed at that level. That was not there for him yet. So you could tell that he was still just kind of playing backyard football. But I think last year he learned that backyard football, even for a player as talented as him, was not going to be enough certainly when it came to getting where he wants to go at the college level and making him the type of NFL draft prospect he wanted to be. This year, he cuts the mullet. Now he's he's a clean-cut guy. He shaves the beard. Now the beard's a little bit more organized. He's got a nice buzz cut to him, and uh, he looks more put together, prepared, and disciplined as a prospect as well. And I think we saw that in the Alabama game this past weekend. He was still that fearless thrower, but he was somebody who played pretty well under pressure, the adjusted completion percentage was good, and especially when hitting the deep ball, you know, that's when some of that accuracy would fall for him is when he had to push it a little bit further. He was not as pinpoint as and as accurate. He was better this past weekend and I think that was a big step in the right direction. So, if you're looking for somebody with arm talent, this dude, it has been number 1 on his report since his high school days as a recruit.
1: I don't know if this is something that he's changed or if he's always done this, but one thing I noticed from watching him um, so far this season is he puts an incredible amount of air under his deep ball. And he doesn't, he seems to be quite inaccurate deep down the field laterally. Like the ball will not necessarily go to where the wide receiver is tracking. But he puts so much air under it, the, the receiver is able to change, right, and run under it and, and adjust and essentially move laterally and make it look like an absolute dime. Vertically, he seems to be accurate. Like, he's going to hit the guy relatively in stride, but it might be five yards to the right of where he was headed for with the time where Ewers mm-hmm. ended up releasing the ball. I think generally that's quite a smart tactic. Like, if you're able to be accurate vertically – You have a lot of wiggle room on deep balls laterally because you're usually only running with one DB. As long as you get it in the ballpark, your receiver can track that ball and go make it look like an absolute dime. So if that's something he's always done, that's pretty interesting. And if it's something he's changed, it's actually even more interesting because it means he's sort of deliberately fixing a flaw with a pretty smart adjustment.
0: I do think that that's something now that you mention it that I do see a lot from him like even in the, the the early stages of him starting at Texas last year he is somebody who is you know he's kind of going back to that backyard football style he's kind of like that that 500 game quarterback where he's just going to go give his guy a shot you know he's basically yelling out 500 before he throws it deep down there and to your point if he puts enough air under it his guy's always got a shot. You know, the less air that you put on it, the more that you put it on a frozen rope. Sure, you might be able to hit a guy in stride and maximize the separation when you recognize it, but it also demands that the ball placement is exquisite. And when you just put a lot of air under it, sometimes you're just... Well, not only are you giving your your guy a chance to go get it, when you put a lot of air under the ball, you also bring in pass interference right because when you're 30 40 yards downfield and you're just putting a ton of air under deep passes sometimes dbs are going to lose where the wide receiver's at or lose where the ball is or they can't find it and so they're just kind of flailing and maybe you'll get a defense pass interference call so i don't know how on purpose it is i really don't but it is a good strategy i guess
1: he seemed to be from all the guys i looked at he seemed to be the one with the most um unconventional and unique mechanics correct he had a
0: very A very
1: sort of compact, quick delivery, but most of the time it was at that three-quarter sidearm thing. And a lot of the times when he seemed, the sidearm thing he seemed to do just because he could. And a lot of the times when he's trying to put touch on those sidearm passes, the ball comes out in a weird way. He almost like loses it too high, right? He's sort of throwing sidearm so
0: his hand is it's coming like, out. It's like up here. He's like, it's like side, but it's above the shoulder. Yeah, is what he but does. his
1: but his hand ends up underneath the ball, so it it seems to push it upwards. Like almost every single pass he missed was because he was putting too much air under it, and whether it, not, not even on the deep balls, just on stuff that he was trying to hit underneath. This just the weird delivery he seemed to float the ball too much, and that was a problem at times. Um, all right, talk to me about Shadur Sanders because. Colorado, Deion Sanders, everything that's going on there at the moment is kind of crazy. Um, you know, one of the biggest storylines in college football, Dion going from Jackson State, going to Colorado, essentially bringing a team with him through the transfer portal. And right. now they look like one of the best teams in college football. And, you know, they're doing, they're making a lot of noise deliberately, right? Like they want the hype. They want the buzz. They want the attention. And that includes, you know, Shadur Sanders, a quarterback who's talking about Matt Rule and, you know, all these kinds of things pre and post game. So they're they're coming with a lot of like fairly obnoxious attitude. So I came in not wanting to like him.
0: He's really good.
1: <laughs> really yeah.
0: good. No, he is. Look, so first, first of all, what he's doing is nothing new. I mean, you go back to the last two years of him starting at Jackson State, 2021 and 2022, he had an adjusted completion percentage of, I think, around 60 or 76 when he was a first-year starter for them. And then it was in the 80s last year. Well, now it's 83% of an adjusted completion percentage. So that is incredibly high. That's an incredibly high number, and it speaks to the timing, the accuracy, how well he's able to go through his progressions, where he knows his receivers are going to be, obviously the ball placement. It's just all through the roof for him right now. I went into the season – with Sanders, And I was impressed with the Jackson State tape. But I wondered, okay, when you'll go up against Power 5 competition, especially in the trenches, does that time to throw get a little bit faster? Are you dealing with pressure a little bit more? How does that affect how you go through things? Like, are you a little bit slower? Are you going to be reacting? Is the accuracy and the decision-making, is that going to take a dip? Well, it clearly has not here in early the early parts of this season. He has been a cerebral assassin with where the ball is going, and how it is getting there. And that has been unbelievably impressive. I had him as sort of like a fringe, I would say, day three, day two prospect, somewhat like a, like a third, fourth round pick going into the season, because as much as I loved the accuracy from him, it felt like he had to kind of put his full body into it to really push balls down the field beyond 40 yards when it came to having that velocity and distance combination. And, you know, that arm talent is what people talk about. Mm. And I wondered how much was there for him. And even though I still have that in my mind, because arm talent just doesn't magically change, how accurate this guy is, how incredible he has been under pressure, because he's the number one FBS quarterback that we have graded under pressure right now. He has the most passing yards under pressure. And I think he has the top top five adjusted completion percentage under pressure as well. So dealing with pressure at a phenomenal level and being able to put the ball exactly where it needs to go almost always, that stuff plays. The mental processing and just precision from him isn't just good. It's not just like, oh yeah, we'll check those boxes for him. They are a plus things for him they are statements on his scouting report and so even if you don't have the greatest arm in the world if you are this much of an assassin with the football when it comes to ball placement and accuracy you can play in the league so if he keeps doing this for throughout the course of this season, man, we're going to talk about him as potentially a QB 3 1st round quarterback in his class.
1: Of the four guys that I was watching, and look, it's you know first look for me, so it's only initial impressions. But I was most impressed by Sanders of the four. Like I, I was really impressed by him. He, I thought his arm looked really good. Um, I he doesn't he doesn't uncork it that often. Like he, I, I think he deliberately does not. Put a lot into a lot of these throws. He's more interested in um, the accuracy and like he varies his throws more than any of these other guys. Whether it's trajectory, touch, velocity, like the the number of different types of throws he has deliberately and consciously throughout the the course of a game is way more than any of these other guys. Like JJ McCarthy from Michigan, who we'll get onto. It's like every pass he attempts is like the bullet pass from Madden, right? All I know is hold down the button. That's that's all right. I'm doing. Whereas right. everything Sanders does is varied. But I thought like every now and again you'll get to a throw where he's like, okay, this one needs the full the full bar. And yes. I, I was impressed. Like when he when he unleashes it, it's
0: it's powerful the arm. Dude, um, his he, he is somebody who. You know, you don't, it's tough not to get caught too much up into this because you love watching prospects and thinking that there's still something in the tank. Right. When you watch somebody and you feel like they're close to their ceiling, even if the ceiling's really high, sometimes you have a chance to, or sometimes you have a tendency to like not think as highly of them because you don't need as much imagination. With Sanders, he is so fundamentally sound with every throw that. Even if I think that his arm talent isn't as great as some other guys in this class, he gets the most out of what he has physically because of how good his fundamentals are. And I think that is also something that is worth noting and something that is incredibly impressive about who he is as a quarterback. Yeah, he.
1: he I felt a little bit like – so Bryce Young, I think a lot of people underestimate how good his arm is because it doesn't look like he's putting – Effort into the throws. Like the ball seems to come out of his hand disproportionate relative to the effort he looks like he's putting into it. Right. The other end of that spectrum is Ryan Fitzpatrick, who every throw he's ever attempted looked like he was draining his entire life essence to try and get the ball 15 yards away. Right. But Bryce Young, it's like it doesn't look like he's putting any effort at all. And yet somehow it leaps out of his hand and actually goes way further and more powerfully than you expect it to. Sanders felt like that. And it wasn't just the throwing, like everything he did looked easy like he would just sort of slide around and evade defenders and skid out of their way and you know just put on a small little burst of acceleration outrun them man I it, again it's only a couple of games it's the first games I've seen of him but he looked really impressive I thought he was very very good um let's get on to JJ McCarthy Michigan I know nothing of this guy so other than the, the games I watch so give me a little bit of background
0: so McCarthy You talk about arm talent, this guy's got it. You know, he is somebody who, you know, he could flick the wrist and the ball was going on a frozen rope to somebody on the opposite hash or even outside the numbers towards the sideline. I mean, he McCarthy's best throws you could put up there with anybody in the class and, and you will be wowed. You could say, all right, those play on Sunday. And they absolutely do. I had him lower than most people going into the season because last year, Michigan's schedule was decently easy and the times in which he faced tougher competition, and especially faced pressure, he wasn't good. I mean, the accuracy wasn't good. The adjusted completion percentage wasn't good. The passing grade wasn't good. I mean, it was all over the place for him. He felt like a guy who had a lot of talent throwing the ball, but just didn't know how to play that quarterback position yet. That internal clock in the back of his head... Uh, It was not calibrated correctly. uh, How he navigated the pocket when pressure was coming, he just didn't have that feel, those instincts. Now, those are all things that could get better with time, but it's never a guarantee. So I was a little bit lower on him going into the year because those are major make-or-break things for me. If you can't handle pressure, especially at the college level, especially at the Big Ten level when you're in Michigan, it's not going to get easier at the NFL level. And I think some of these rookie quarterbacks were seeing that even early in their rookie careers like we do every year. But McCarthy, two games into this season, looks a lot more comfortable navigating the pocket, moving amongst around the pocket, um, adjusting to some pressure, even though the competition he's gone up against hasn't been super stout, super imposing. But you see it right there, man. He's first and overall grade, first in passing grade. He's got five big-time big time throws, doesn't have any turnover-worthy plays. The adjusted completion percentage is great. And so it's all going according to plan for McCarthy. And right now we are simply seeing the best version of version of him and moving forward. It's simply going to be, you know, Hey, I got the Ohio state game circled. And then I, I think that this team's going to win the big 10 championship. So I think the big 10 championship will be circled. You'll have the two college football playoff games. If they make it to the national championship, those are the ones that you're that are going to weigh a lot to me when it comes to judging JJ McCarthy.
1: Yeah. I, I thought he looked really good. Um, I thought he, his arm looks absolutely legit and not just, so one of the things, it's e- it's relatively easy to have a big powerful arm from your base, right? From your stable platform when mm-hmm. your feet are under you and you can just step into the throw and fire it, right? A lot of players can do that. What's difficult for players sometimes is when you don't have your feet under you, can you still generate velocity and torque and zip, you know, just from your upper body, essentially. Like, obviously, Mahomes is probably the best example of that, right? A guy who can generate seemingly the same power from effectively any possible platform, whether or not his feet are under him at all. McCarthy seems to be able to torque his body and just arm a ball with good accuracy and velocity, which enables him to do a lot that other quarterbacks can't do because he can kind of skip into a little bit of space in the pocket and then just fire the ball in with his arm in a way other quarterbacks can right? They need their feet under them. So mm-hmm. I was impressed by that. Really, everything about him I thought was good. The only criticism I have is that the opposite of that Sanders thing, where there's no variance to his throws. Everything is a bullet pass. He, like, if he can yeah. just develop that, like, learn when to put some touch on it, when to, you know, give it. Because sometimes the bullet pass is just simply not helpful for your own receivers. Like, give them a better chance to, A, catch it, and B, run into some space by putting a bit of air under it. Like, there were a couple of passes in the most recent game, was it UNLV, where um, there's a window there, and he actually sort of took it away by trying to fire it in on a rope. Like, it didn't give the receiver any chance, you know, with the trajectory to let the ball come in over a defender. It basically, it blocked the window by putting a defender between him and the receiver.
0: And that is something that's, I love that you pointed out because it's not nece- It's not something that I noted, but now that you say that, I go, actually, yeah, you're right. There, There's a lot of instances where he's just, like you said, mashing the button in Madden and trying <laughs> to fire it in there. And touch is a very, very important part of quarterback scouting reports. Like you have to be able to throw with touch at the NFL level, whether it's, Five yards down the field, 10 yards, 20, 40, 60, whatever it is. Like you have to be able to put the appropriate amount of touch on passes. The game is too fast at the NFL level. Defenders are too good. Yeah. You're not going to be able to zip it in there every time and being able to put touch on pass is really important so that's something that i'm going to watch moving forward i love the i love that you caught that
1: but the good thing i think is it's probably easier to take a guy who's got the arm to get it into any window and like teach him when to just have a bit of self-control and put a bit of air under it than it is to take a guy who's got great accuracy but doesn't have the arm to get it into that window like maybe you can increase the act the the arm strength and the power and work on it but it's probably a hell of a lot harder than it is to take a guy who's already got all of that ability and say, hey, this one, just take a
0: little bit of, you know, just a little bit of percentage off it. Just put a bit of air under it. That's why the joke or the bit continues to run every year. The NFL takes these big, giant, tall quarterbacks. Why? Because they have the biggest arms. And because they think to themselves, we can hone in on this guy, you know? Bringing back to Josh Allen's conversation, right? Yeah. Josh Allen out of Wyoming, I mean, that tape was nuts. I mean, the tape was all over the place with terrible decisions and bad throws and bad accuracy all over the place. But the Bills said to themselves, we're going to take this guy and we're going to groom him. We're going to have it dial it down a little bit. And the times that Josh Allen's able to dial it down, and shoot, even the times that he's not, he still gives you those unbelievable throws that, you know, maybe only one, two, three guys in the world can make and teams are always going to shoot for those types of players. So even though I think that McCarthy is further away from being a sure thing NFL quarterback, I got, I believe that the league is going to be really eye on him no matter
1: what. Yeah. Okay. Last guy to cover in deference to the late Michael Renner, uh, Bo Nix again, don't know a ton about him other than he was at our Auburn, previously and he's been in college for like the last 58 years um give me uh give me some bonix lowdown
0: so bonix was horrible at auburn um he started as a true freshman um really felt like kind of like a legacy move like leave his i believe his dad played at auburn and it just felt like it was like this legacy like oh you know just uh, next in line and now he's starting for auburn grace uh, i mean He had one good half against Oregon his first (laughs) year as a starter in the very first game, and people were like, this dude's incredible. He somehow was able to squeeze another two and a half years as a starter out of that one game because he was really bad the next two and a half years. I was pretty much done talking about Bo Nix like two years ago. I was like, don't talk to me about the NFL with this guy. He he cannot process the way that he needs to. The accuracy is bad. The decision-making is not there. He's a good athlete with his legs, and he's got a really nice arm. But it do, it, like, to me, it doesn't matter. The decision-making was terrible. He moves on from Auburn, goes to Oregon. And I didn't get to watch a lot of Oregon football, frankly, because I'm on the East Coast, so you just don't get to see a lot of it. When I went to go watch Bo Nix for summer scouting, and I watched four or five of his games from last year, I couldn't believe I was. this was the same player. I could have sworn they just put somebody else in his jersey and in his helmet, and, and they were playing. Because the decision-making, the accuracy, the touch, and most importantly, the play under pressure last year when facing the blitz, when facing more than five guys coming at him, when facing even just like a four-man blitz where there's pressure that was recorded. He was awesome. Now... He, there's still consistency with him that I want to see last year as a building block, but he showed you what you wanted to see last year from a potential top 50 NFL pick, and so those wow moments. You know, I talked about some of the best throws from JJ McCarthy. If you put the best throws from Bo Nix together, I mean, again, you're going to be able to put down a first round resume. So for him this year, the turnover worthy plays we got to keep him down. We want to keep the big time throws up as if this isn't a massive duh, but let's continue to play really well under pressure. Because if you give me two back to back years of a guy who could play really well under pressure, has good decision making, can see things pre snap and post snap, knows where to go with the ball, can fire it in there quickly, and he's got enough athleticism to be a decent RPO option or at least somebody that the defense has to account for. You know, like he feels kind of like a Daniel Jones type of guy where it's like, all right. I don't know if you're going to base a whole rushing attack or a whole RPO system around him, yeah. but he'll definitely hurt you with his legs if you give him a little bit of space. That's kind of how I feel about Daniel or about, uh, about Bo Nix right now as a prospect. So a lot of good stuff last year. Felt night and day different from what he was when he was at Auburn. So I just want to see it once Oregon really starts to ramp up their schedule this year. Let's see it again.
1: Yeah, I thought he had an impressive passing range. Like you said, he's got touch. He's got the ability to do a lot of different throws. Very good processing in the pocket like him i think you you hit the nail on the head his ability to see it pre and post snap like work through a progression understand the defense that was impressive really the only thing i would want to see from him more certainly like again based on two games is like i want more big plays right like you're clearly good you've shown the ability to not screw it up to read the defense to understand what's happening now let's be a bit more aggressive and go make a few bigger plays out there because if you can put that on the table then we're talking about something legit um of these four guys so let's talk in terms of first rounders we were talking about qb3 for me qb3 out of that out of those four is sanders Mm -hmm. how many of the four for you are first round picks
0: as of now how many would i have first round grades on or how many do i think the nfl would draft in the first round because it's a little bit different of a question
1: uh, well, let's let's go one then the other.
0: Okay, so guys that I think could get drafted in the first round, uh, all of them, okay. genuinely, like the most quarterbacks we ever have we've ever had drafted in the first round is five, and that's happened twice, I believe. I really do think we're going to get six this year. I think we're I think we're going to break the record this year. There's it depends how desperate some of these teams are going to be for a quarterback and whether they think they can wait because it's also going to be a very very deep class, but. You can convince yourself that Ewers has an unbelievable arm and you can make something out of it. You could say the same with Jason McCarthy. You could tell yourself that sh- the accuracy and and football IQ with Shadur Sanders just doesn't come around very often. I think he could get drafted in the first round. And I think with Bo Nix, again, like you said, if we see more big-time throws, throws from him, that play under pressure, that dual threat ability, it's definitely there for him. Again, going back to Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones can go as high as he did, and I understand. It was Dave Gettleman. I'm not sure anybody else would have been drafted him that high. But I think Daniel Jones probably would have went in the first round that year. Maybe not as high as he went, but he would have gone in the first round. I feel the same about Bo Nix. And so I think all four of them could absolutely go in the first round. I'll stick with Nix as my QB3 because going into the season, we haven't really learned a ton since then. I'll say Nix is still my QB3. I have Penix as my QB4. But in this list, I believe it would be uh, Ewers is next. And then I think mccarthy and sanders but man i think i have all of these guys in my top 60 now and when we update the big board in a couple of weeks you know if these guys keep putting together really great numbers consistently they're only going to rise because quarterbacks of paramount importance when it comes to uh where you put guys in a big board so yeah that's probably how i would list it of the guys that we named nicks ewers mccarthy sanders
1: i think based off just watching these guys through the first couple of weeks. I think Sanders is a num- is a first-round pick, clearly. Um, I think McCarthy is a first-round pick. I could see Bo Nix getting into the first round, though I'm less sure on that. Ewers, to me, feels more like a day-two kind of guy. Um, but, I, I mean, I agree with you. That's all right. Like, if you count... Caleb Williams and Drake may in there as well. That's five that I have going in there. So, right. And I haven't looked at any of the other guys that we're talking about, you know, on the, in the same kind of category for potentially QB three. So I could easily see there being five or six.
0: I think Michael Penix is also from Washington, at least in this, that conversation for guys that can be top 50 first round picks. I know he's got a bad injury history to him, but if he has another fully healthy year, yeah, I think he can put a decent amount of that behind him and he could also be in the first round there. So yeah, I, I, was actually talking with Brad Spielberger before the show. But it's going to always feel weird listing the quarterbacks in this class um, numerically because a guy who could be QB3 is going to be somebody's QB8. And the truth about it is the distance between QB3 and QB8 in this class is going to be way smaller than I think anybody is used to. And so I feel as though numerical rankings are going to get some good social media engagement (laughs) this year, because you can ask 10 different guys. And I think they'd have a different order for all of them because there's a ton of talent.
1: Yeah. People are going to get blowtorch for putting the consensus QB three at like QB eight, nine. And it's, it's pretty close. You know, there's not going to be that big a gap. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Um, tomorrow, I think what's going to happen, Steve's on the road later this week, so I think we're going to bump the preview show up a day. So we're going to do a Wednesday preview show this week, a two-and-a-half-hour marathon, as it's probably going to end up being. And we're going to be a day even more ignorant on injury news. So that's going to be... I wouldn't be putting a ton of bets off the uh, the preview show we're doing this week, put it that way. Um, Thursday show, TBD, and then the... Uh, I think Brad Spielberger is going to be showing up for our Friday show and potentially Vic Troja, our uh, medical expert, Uh, if only there was an injury or two that we could talk about this week. Trev, it's been a pleasure, good sir. Thank you for educating us all on the 2024 quarterbacks and talking Jets bars, the, uh, the real information everyone needed today.
0: I appreciate it, man. Anytime, I'm excited that uh, we get to talk more draft on this show throughout the year because this is the class to do it. It's going to be a ton of fun, man.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, it's it's going to help all of our listeners get a head start. It's going to help me actually watch some college football before the draft season, which can't be a bad thing. So, Trev's going to be here every, or here every week on Tuesdays. Hopefully, you've enjoyed listening to the show, and we'll uh, see you tomorrow.